welcome to Pursuit Church Podcast, where we give those far from God the opportunity to pursue Christ. We are so glad you are here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe God has a word for you through today's message. Before you're seated this morning, I want to read from the book of 2 Corinthians. Chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. This is Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church, his second letter. And he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in affirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Today, I feel compelled to minister the grace of God today and show you what it means that his grace is sufficient. I title my message, Weak, Strong People. You may be seated. My title is a paradox, weak, strong people. But I believe that's, that's exactly what we are. I believe that's what the church is. I believe that we are weak, strong people. Uh, the title stems from the verse of scripture today that says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It is a Christian paradox that when we are Weak in ourselves, then we can find strength in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not uncommon to find these spiritual paradoxes in Scripture. Uh, for example, the Bible will tell you, if you want to be rich in Christ, you must be willing to sell everything you have. If you want to be first, you must be willing to be last. If you want to be exalted... You must be willing to be brought low. If you want to be a leader, you must be willing to be a servant. And if you want new life, well, you must be willing to die. A paradox is defined as a seemingly absurd or a self-contradictory statement that is actually true. In the Bible, spiritual paradoxes are very common and they often confound and confuse the world. In fact, the wisest of the world may uh, consider us believers to be fools for Christ's sake, fools for believing uh, the gospel, and thus God is pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save all those who might believe. Now, God does not work how we work. Uh, his ways are not our ways. His ways are above our ways. And, and he knows things we don't. And he understands things that we simply cannot. Uh, the Bible says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Uh, Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I believe as the church, as a person of God, at some point we have to come to the understanding, even though we might have some good thoughts, and we might think we've got a real good spiritual thought, it is still probably not God's thoughts. God's ways are his own ways, and his thoughts are his own thoughts. And I am sure you have heard this statement before, that God works in mysterious ways. Maybe you've said that statement yourself. I've often said it. I'm sure I've said it up here when I was preaching. And while the statement is not actually from the Bible, the idea does come from the Bible. I want to share with you the story behind that phrase. It's not a a biblical phrase, but rather that phrase comes from an old hymn. And one stormy night in the year 1763, William Cooper, the famous English poet, he would try to drown himself in a nearby river. But when he noticed a strange man watching him, he would return home in search of a more private means to end his life. He tried three more times that night to take his own life in the privacy of his own home. But in the end, all of Cooper's suicide attempts that night were obstructed by by what he later called an invisible hand. Having suffered from mental illness most of his life, Cooper entered uh, entered a nearby hospital for help and treatment, and it was in that hospital that he would find a Christian doctor, and so uh, that Christian doctor would introduce him to Christ, and he would find God in that hospital. Two years later, after leaving the hospital, Cooper met the well-known pastor John Newton, who was the author of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Newton ministered to Cooper, and he encouraged him to write some hymns uh, himself. And so Cooper began to write some songs, and one of those songs was from the year 1771, and it was called Light Shining Out of Darkness. The first line of the hymn is where our modern phrase, God works in mysterious ways, comes from. Here are just a few lines of that age-old hymn. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessings upon your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may be bitter, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he shall make it plain. Cooper would go on to suffer with depression for the rest of his life. Even though he found God and he continued to serve God, he would still deal uh, with depression. But he left us that timeless truth that God had given him during one of his lowest moments, which is still being repeated 250 years later, that God works in mysterious ways. Now, 
knowing that church and understanding that to be true, we can now take a fresh look at what is going on with Paul in our scripture. The Bible says, we skipped over this part, but the Bible says Paul was caught up into the third heaven. He said, whether in the body or out of the body, I couldn't tell, uh, but he saw heaven. He had this vision and he heard things and saw things that were inexpressible, awesome things in which he says, no man is permitted to speak. He was in heaven. But soon afterwards, we find Paul crying with anguish under a severe personal affliction. He called it a thorn in his flesh. He goes from this place of heavenly paradise to pain. And it can certainly be difficult to understand how and why somebody could so quickly go from an awesome high in the presence of their awesome Jesus to an awful low, to a place of suffering. But listen to what Paul says. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, that revelation of heaven he received, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But all that God said to me was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Again, it's the mysterious ways of God. Paul sought relief. Paul prayed that, God, would you take it away? And God would not give him uh, his pain away. He would not heal him, but rather only reminding Paul that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Okay, I see. Paul begins to understand the ways of God. I've got to be made weak and I've got to be hard pressed and I've got to be broken and I've got to be brought down and I've got to be afflicted because this isn't about me. It's about God. God wants to prove something. It's his desire to prove who he is to me in my life. It's about him being powerful. It's about him being faithful. It's about him being victorious. It's about him being strong in my life. And Paul, how can you know that I'm faithful? How can you know that I'm strong? How, how can you know that I'm dependable? How can you know that I'm a good provider? How can you know that I'm all that you need? Unless you're made weak. You have nothing else to rely on and you have nobody else to run to and you have nothing else to find comfort in. Paul, how can you really know me as faithful if you have no need for me? How can you know me as your provider unless you're emptied of every single thing? How can you know me as strong unless you're made weak? In other words, the thorn in your flesh is making you what I want you to be. That is more dependent on me, more trusting in me, more close to me, more in love with me, 
more committed to me, more loyal to me. The thorn in your flesh is doing what I need it to do to prove to you that in your weakness, I will provide perfect strength, that I, Jehovah, your God, am enough, that if all that you have is me, Paul, you have all that you need. Because I could answer your prayers. I could heal you in a matter of a moment. I, I could take your pain away. I could fix your problems right now today. But how then would you ever understand that my grace is sufficient for you? And so in his pleading for God to take it away, Paul saw two ways forward. Either the Lord could remove the thorn and he could go on with his life and ministry. Or God could leave the thorn in him. And Paul would forever be crippled and slowed down in his life and ministry. But God and his mysterious ways of doing things because his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. He responds with a third option that Paul didn't even think of. Leave the thorn, but give Paul grace. And for Paul's life and for Paul's ministry, this would help him grow and become a better minister and become more wiser. This is God's secret strategy for his people. This is God's way of doing things to leave the thorn, but to give more grace. What we must not miss, though, is that it is not Paul's strength, but God's. Paul's only contribution is his weakness. That's the only thing he contributes. Paul has a weakness, but this is no problem, for it is precisely what God needs. He only needs a weakness. He just needs somebody's weakness. This is the mystery and the wonder and the glory of apostolic Christianity that our weakness attracts God's power. He thrives in our weakness. Now, some suffer for what they've done. Others suffer because of what people have done to them. And many of us suffer because we're just victims of circumstances which we cannot control. The pain hurts. There can be nights of agony when God seems so unfair and there's no possible way out. Temporary relief may seem adequate, but the real solution to suffering is not to isolate in an attempt to do away with it and pretend that everything is okay, nor even grit our teeth and try to endure it, but rather... The solution is to stretch our faith and believe that God is going to be enough for me and my present pain. The solution, the solution, church, is to not give up all hope, but it's to give in to the hope that God is enough for me right now and I will hold tightly to my precious Savior. 
and the storm may tarry, but as long as we've got an immovable rock, a rock that can't be moved, called Christ that we can hold on to, no matter how hard the waves may crash upon our life, no matter how fast the wind may blow, no matter how hard the rain may fall, we will never be carried into the sea of hopelessness and discouragement and depression, for we are holding on to the rock called Christ. And just like Paul did, we may pray for God to take it away, to solve our problems, to fix our mess, to heal our pain. But that may not be God's way For God is trying to birth something new in you, a revelation, an understanding of his amazing grace that when you are weak in yourself, he will make you strong for his grace is sufficient for you. I believe that this is what Moses had learned in the Old Testament when he asked God, he said, God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, okay, what's his name? What's God's name? What should I tell them? God said, I am. Tell them, I am sent you. Tell them, my name is I am, church. Because I'm the bread when you're hungry. And I'm the water of life when you're thirsty. And I'm the comfort in your pain. And I'm the light in the night. And I'm the peace in your storm. And I'm the provider when you're without. And I'm the God who heals. And I'm the God who protects. And I'm the God who hears and answers. And I'm the God who redeems. And I'm the God who forgives. And I'm the God who saves. I am your strength when you are weak. Are we getting it, church? are we understanding? He is the I am. I am what you need me to be. I am your God and my grace is sufficient for you. Charles Spurgeon once said, periods of weakness will come. A great strain may be placed on us so that we become so exhausted or severely depressed, and we may even imagine that we are ready to die. But at times like this, God will supply strength, and our extreme distress will be his opportunity, and our famine will be his hour of plenty. God will be enough. I don't think there's anything more comforting than knowing the all-sufficiency of Christ. Of course, when we think of Jesus, we think of what he did at the cross. He purchased our salvation. He became the ultimate sacrifice for all of the sins of humanity so that we could have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, and be reconciled to God for the rest of eternity. Jesus was the I Am. He became everything we needed him to become so that we could receive that gift of eternal life. And while that 
That, that is the greatest thing. And, and really, that's enough to show up to church and worship him over. And that's enough to rejoice about. But we must not forget that the all-sufficiency of Christ does not stop there. But he is all-sufficient in everything. Our trials, our needs, our fears, our doubts, our failures, everything. Scripture says he's able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good word and work. So, what is your thorn? Is it that you've been sick for a long time? Your own strength has failed you and the skills of many doctors have been unsuccessful? Around you, you can see no ray of hope, no symptom of returning health no indignation of the removal of your disease and pain and your prayers have returned to you unanswered. Now you find within yourself a spirit of murmuring, a spirit of complaining, a, a great discouraging spirit because you have forgotten whose hand is upon your life. And you've decided in your own knowledge and wisdom that God must have forgotten about you. But does he whose grace is sufficient and whose strength is made perfect in our weakness not know what he's doing? Does not our God work in mysterious ways and aren't his thoughts higher than our thoughts and his ways greater than our ways? Maybe today you're overcome with doubts and fears that God is angry with you. That it is in anger and not in love that he has laid you low. You look at your past and, and your back, uh, back, you look backwards and your past is all full of failures and mess ups and defeats. Really, the sight is gloomy and sad. And the thought arises in your mind, for these transgressions upon me must be the result of God's judgment. For I've angered the Lord. I've upset the Lord. For my sins are too numerous to be forgiven. But his grace is sufficient for your failures too. And may we not spend all day and all night and all of our life just looking at ourselves and looking at our own sins. But may we look to Jesus, our Savior, our God, our friend. Because He, church, will not cast you away guilty as you are. He will not fail to welcome you in. But He will say to you, if anybody falls into sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven, for my grace is sufficient for you. Or maybe your situation is a little bit more different. I won't be much longer. Maybe there are sins in which you have fought forever. There are Temptations which sometimes just seem too difficult to resist. No sooner have you gained a victory over some besetting sin, some evil tempter comes your way with some worldly desire, and again, before you know it, you are falling again, coming short. Your experience 
as unique as it may seem to you, it is simply the Christian experience. You are experiencing what those who walk on the narrow path experience. You haven't chosen to walk through the wide gate, but you've chosen the way of conviction and struggle and resistance and opposition and refusal against the enemy and his devices and temptations. But when you fall, because we all do, we all fall, God's grace is sufficient and his strength is made perfect in all of our weaknesses. So this morning, we should not be discouraged by any of our shortcomings, nor any of the thorns that are placed in our flesh, but hopeful, hopeful church, because he who has sustained us to this point today shall sustain us still. And though our own strength, it will continue to fail us. We will continue to come up short. We, the church, shall not be overcome for God's daily grace will pick us up. His morning mercy will dust us off and we shall be on our way again. So rejoice, church, for the battle is already won. His grace is sufficient. Let's stand this morning. It's the grace of God. I was speaking to an individual some time ago. He's not a part of our church, but he, he's a Christian. He serves God. He has served God for much of his life. And he told me, I want to do good. I always want to do what's right. But there's just this area in my life that just never been completely under control. Truly, it's my weakness. It's... It's my place of many failures. And I told him, that's precisely the Christian experience that we all have. All of us Christians experience that in some way or another. We all have this weak place in our life that no matter how much Holy Ghost we get, how much preaching we're fed, how much church we attend, we still find ourselves somewhere along the way failing and coming short. But hear me, it's not when we are perfect that Christ becomes strong. It's not when I have everything under control that God gets any glory. It's when we're weak in ourselves and we know that we are weak and he is strong. The want is still there. I want to do what's right. I want to be holy. I want to be like Christ. I want to be perfect. I want to be righteous in the eyes of God. Paul said, I want to do good. But I often find myself doing what I don't want to do. It's important to never lose the want. The want to be holy and, and the want to get to heaven and, and the want to be righteous and, and the want to be holy and perfect. But we will never reach perfection in our earthly body. <laughs> but what we can reach for is the grace of our God.
And by never losing the want and never quitting the fight and never letting condemnation to take over our life, we are allowing God to get the glory and for him to be the I am in our life. This is the amazing grace of our God. I am what you need me to be. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. For more information about Pursuit, visit PursuitChurchAR.com. Thank you for listening and see you next week.